What is your legacy, Paul? And what will be your legacy, Paul? The two most searching questions I've ever been asked. One was hinted by my father when I was about the age of 19 when he said to me in a context I won't relate here but will another time what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul I think that was Ignatius Loyola what is your legacy, Paul? So this morning I wrote down my legacy. I wrote down the headlines. My ten points in some order which was ordained by something or other. Undoubtedly my unconscious. Where most of me happens. So this is the first part of an 11-part series entitled Legacy. And I'm going to do it really quickly. I'm going to do it so quickly that I haven't got time to reflect on each one. I'm just going to put it there so that it's all here together on a Sunday. And for some reason, I think, oh dear. Yes, it is Sunday, yes, yes. For a second I thought it might be Saturday. No, for some reason Sunday seems the appropriate day of the week to do this. I associate Sunday with resurrection. And resurrection is a really important word in my life. In fact, I think it's going to be the 11th part of my legacy. And I'll do the 11th part first here. I have suffered with many severe depressions in my life. I'm bipolar, but I have suffered, in one case, a year, over a year of it. And other times, anything between four and a half months and that. And from one point of view, it has devastated my life since 1992. It has certainly influenced the directions I've gone along in my life and the things I haven't done. So it's been a little, from one perspective, it's been a stop-start life. It's a hard-knock life. It's a stop-start life for me. I'm far from feeling sorry for myself because of resurrection that I have each time arisen from that death of depression or that depression of death. Okay, this is getting very, very metaphorical. But that's what I mean by resurrection and by that I mean that the point, a point in my legacy is that no matter how bad it 
gets. So long as you keep on breathing, this too shall pass. All you have to do is keep on breathing. I'm not guaranteeing or promising or suggesting a life without suffering, but this too shall pass. You will resurrect. There is and will be resurrection in your life. And that's part of what I'd like to be. My contribution, my voice, my little whisper to everybody. Friends, Romans, countrymen, this is the second part of my series, Legacy. And here's where I am going to talk about, I'm going to name and talk about my first legacy. It goes under the title, Citizen. You see, I see everyone as best I can as a citizen. And I think the word citizen has a very powerful ring to it. There is a sense in which the word citizen is synonymous for me with legacy, with uh, equality. Okay, it's French revolutionary stuff. Liberty, liberté, fraternité, and égalité. But citizens of the world... We are citizens of the world. I am a citizen of the internet. That is not to say that everyone is equal in money, opportunities, connections, resources. No, there's massive, massive inequalities in the world. And in a tiny way, I have put a little bit of my life into reducing the inequalities of income, status, particularly status. I mean, I have done a little, precious little, but the concept of citizen and civil society has a, in contrast with authority, Uh, rulers, reigners, people who are in charge. The idea that you have only one vote. Each person without exception needs to defecate and does clean themselves out to a certain extent. We are all equal on the toilet. We are citizens. That's what I stand for. And that's part of my legacy. And if I achieved the task of leaving only one legacy behind me for my daughter, for people who are alive, for my friends, for my associates, 
for people towards whom I feel friendly and for complete strangers. That wouldn't be a bad legacy to leave. Legacy. Number one. Citizen. Citizens. All. On my tombstone, it might say, we are meaning-making machines. Indeed, that's one of my favourite quotations. I invented it. I didn't read it anywhere else. And it has huge meaning for me. It came from the world of poetry and from the contrast between the way in which I was taught poetry at school, in which what I was encouraged to do was to find out what meaning the poem had for the poet. And as I reflected and got into the world of poetry many, many years after being at school, it became more and more strong to me that the reader of the poem is the person who makes the poem meaningful, full of meaning. Not to say that it's not interesting to know what the poet meant, but if you had to choose between knowing what the poet meant and knowing what the poem meant to you, to me, it was almost a self-evident generalization that not only I would pick the ability to make the poem meaningful, but that most everyone else, if they ever considered the two options, would too. Meaning-making machines, humans from the time of birth, where everything is inchoate, where there is no separation between the infant and the, and the mother. Where right immediately after birth there is no sense of self. And where life can, from one perspective, be described as a growth of a sense of self. A development of a sense of self. That I want to encourage others. I'd like to leave behind me the phrase, or put any way you like, don't forget that you make things meaningful yourself. You are author of the meaning in your life. You have the authority to speak your meaning. Others have too the ability to speak their meaning. But you are a machine. Everything about you, all the blood, all the veins, all the arteries, all the fat, all the muscle, all the nerves, the fibres, the synapses, the everything is all gathered, all brain power works to produce a sense of you being meaningful and a sense of you having the ability to make other things meaningful. It's almost like gestalt. You show a whole load of things that are not joined up, but the perceiver, the maker, 
joins them up and we all join things up in different ways no matter what our circumstances or autobiography is each person makes their world meaningful in a unique way no two chess games are the same unless the players are copying yes we are meaning making machines that also is my legacy when I saw my father walk down the length of the bookshop that he inherited from his father my grandfather set up in 1902 when I saw my father walk from his office at the back of the shop to the front of the shop and run his finger along shelves and look to see if there was dust and I watched and I saw people walk after him after he had gone forward not directly behind him after he had passed on when I saw people dusting shelves I realized the power of example when I sat in the kitchen with my mother having raised a question and found my mother willing to discuss it without any time limit found her discussing willing to discuss the rules that govern behavior in our house without ever getting cross, without ever saying, this you shall do because I say it, because I am your parent. Because she never resorted to that kind of positional authority, ever in my memory. And as I grew older and I saw that she, and I experienced that she was willing to discuss even the existence of a God with me, and she a devout religious person and me having abandoned the notion of God and she never got cross and she never raised her voice and having seen her able to invite Jehovah Witnesses into the house they came and knocked on the door they were not usual people in Ireland in the 1960s she brought them into the kitchen she gave them cups of tea and she discussed with them religion the Bible their story and they must have thought thank goodness we finally found a person who's willing to listen to us pay attention to what to the message we want to bring and all the time my mother was very purposeful she enjoyed conversation, she enjoyed discussion. But she had a purpose. Her purpose, she said afterwards to me many times, was to keep the people off the streets so that they wouldn't go around annoying other people. Oh yes, oh yes. I have been changed by the example that other people have given me more so than by their words. 
the example of what they do and by bearing witness to the example that others have given I have been changed. So rather than people's words take the example of people's style take the example or notice how they deliver their words the words themselves intellectually they're not the key thing example is what matters so my legacy my legacy will be example giving for me a question that has existed from the earliest time is what kind of example can I give do I want to give so I've had to work on myself so that I can feel and think that the example I give is reliable it's not misleading so that I can be proud of the example which I'm giving and so that I cannot even think about it and just do be myself naturally and trust myself that my self is motivated by a drive towards making things better he gave a good example wouldn't be a bad legacy citizens meaning makers example givers they go together in my mind I'm not sure whether they go together in any more coherent way other than that they come from me one source one source that has experienced that has lived for a good long time so they come out of my biography and in that sense they're social because I haven't lived in a vacuum I haven't lived alone so I wonder how they fit together in but the key thing is that they all are distinct each part of my legacy if they're not distinct they're worth joining together so that there are fewer than 11 if meaning making and citizen were the same thing they should be amalgamated if example giver and meaning making were the same thing they should be amalgamated but I don't feel they should be amalgamated okay this is reflection one on legacy number one two and three Yeah, I'm a great believer in reflection, review. Yeah, carry on, carry on after reviewing. Do more, see what it's like, review it, and then move to the next step.
or when slaves were freed in the South, a lot of them came up north by the Mississippi and settled in Memphis. And in the 1860s, a lot of the, all the Irish were on the Confederate side, the pro-slavery side. And there was a massacre where the Irish police force were involved, the massacre of 46 African Americans in Memphis. Um, similarly in Penn, so this, I think in Ireland we have a narrative of, oh, the persecuted Irish. Yeah. But actually, uh, particularly in the 19th century, yes, there was, uh, you know, yeah. Catholicism, but there's a history, Daniel O'Connell, for example, uh, here I learned, was big into the slavery, the, the anti-slavery movement, he met Frederick Douglass, the, the yeah. and he contacted the Irish uh, community in America they during that time, they and they rejected them. them. Mainly the bishops in Boston said, you must be, you know, where are we getting involved <laughs> on the side of competing with our guys for jobs, why would we want... Right. Yeah. So it, I, I, you know, that whole thing is another issue, but the complexity of immigration, hierarchies of immigrants, and how race plays out in that right. is fascinating. Well, um, I, I get the impression you're enjoying your new post. Well, it, it keeps me busy with, with, with Mr. Trump every day. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the problem is that it can end up... giving loads of business. Well, well the other thing for Ireland to watch is the tax thing is going to come up, I think, in the next couple of months. They, they're really going to try and get an agreement on tax reform, which could be very tricky for Ireland. Right. Okay, just in case we had got a spring in our step. Listen, thank you for that, and we'll take another break. I thought that would be worth recording. I wish I'd been able to do an introduction to it. That programme is the most listened to Irish radio programme on the weekend by a very long shot. The woman who compares it, the, who's in charge of the programme, Marion Finucane, is one of the star journalists in Ireland. I don't know who the woman who travelled around the United States was, I will find out her name and drop it into the title at some stage. Um, the man who had, there were two men heard there. One of them was previously a cabinet minister, interestingly enough, in a, the political party that would be regarded as right-wing in Ireland, although I personally don't find left-wing and right-wing terms useful anymore in relation to any country. But I just thought that was Michael McDowell. And he was, um, if I remember rightly, an attorney general and he's a barrister. Um, so I hope that that will be useful for or interesting to some people around the world. Um, I'm not saying it's representative of everything in Ireland, but at least it's a snippet from the kind of conversation that has gone out into the Irish public. This is a very big uh, listenership on this programme. So it certainly would be, in its own way, kind of informing the conversations that are taking place in Ireland. I, I would be very curious, very interested to hear the equivalent conversation from any other country in the world about the same topics.